0: through all. Thank you that you are our God, uh, that you have saved us, that you have loved us. Uh, I pray that you would speak through Michael, uh, that his words would be powerful uh, because you are behind them, because your word is behind them. Uh, Please open up our hearts and our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: And you may be seated. And at this time, our elementary and preschool can be dismissed their classes across the hall. And while they are doing that, if you would open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I just want to remind you want you to know if you've got little ones who are staying in and not going out, um, that is perfectly fine and they will not bother us and uh, so please feel free to uh, keep who needs to be kept in here. They have uh, moved me up on the stage. They've added a row of chairs. Maybe that will help. In some sense, I don't know. I I feel I feel taller. I've always been short. I feel <laughs> taller. That's about all. I'm. I don't particularly like stages. It's a rather uncomfortable feeling. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens up here. As uh, I said earlier, we have, uh, we've been talking about labels and um, I had a plan and then about halfway through the week as I was uh, reading and praying and thinking, um, that plan changed. And so we're going to look at one more set of labels this morning. That was not my original intent, um, but we are. We have been talking about labels, started about three weeks ago and we began in Mark chapter 8. Uh, and in Mark chapter 8... We looked at the fact that if we call ourselves Christ followers, what that means is um, that, we, that we give up the world's expectations for us. that We lay those aside. Uh, it also means that we give up our, our own expectations uh, for ourselves. We, we're willing to lay down, as Brandon talked about, what's precious to us. Usually that's ourself. Usually people have the biggest hang-up over well, I like me and who I am, and I want to promote me. And to be a Christ follower, we, we lay that down. What's interesting about the Elijah story is those folks giving up water that was precious to us, right after that, um, it rained. Right after that, he, he prayed and, and the drought ended, which is an interesting other thought to uh, what otherwise is a, is a neat deal that those people and those people were were all fence sitters, so to speak. Right when 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 Elijah challenged them, "Are you for bail or for God?" They all just kind of sit there and go, "Well, we want to see how it comes out." It'd be like watching the football game this afternoon. Are you a, a Giants fan or Forty ers fan? I'll tell you when it's over. Right? Yeah, that's not fair. You can't do that, right? Um, but. For some reason, they gave up water, and, and then it was restored. And then finally, we give up our, our, our image of ourselves. We, we lay down what the world wants of us, but then we, we adopt, we embrace, to be a Christ follower, um, who Christ wants us to be, ultimately. And then a couple weeks ago, we began looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and we saw that those of us who embrace the fact and and have been blessed by the fact that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Paul writes in chapter 1. That three main characteristics really uh, should embody who we are as the body of Christ. Um, Humility, unity, and patience. Patience in circumstances and patience with one another. Um, Those three things, of all that Paul is going to talk about in the next three chapters of things that the body of Christ should look like, those three things kind of exemplify who we are. Humility and, and patience and unity. And then last week we looked more specifically at um, how that happens, and we saw that God equips people to equip the body to use their gifts to strengthen us so that we will, number one, mature, so that we'll continue to be unified, and then ultimately that we'll be Christ-like that that standard is, is high, but that God gives us grace. He equips us to accomplish the task that He's called us to do as the body of Christ. This morning, we'll look at one more label. Well, actually, it's a handful of labels, but they all are interrelated. And to do that, we need to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, a little bit of background. I read part of 1 Peter 1. Um, he begins by calling them aliens, and that's an important point that's going to come up in a minute. But then He... He reminds them of the value, of the certainty, of the assurance of their salvation based on their relationship with Christ. He does that in chapter 1. And then he goes even further and he reminds them of the prophets who spoke long ago. And he tells them almost as if to encourage them, you know what, they weren't really doing this for themselves. These prophets were speaking for you. So that when you read that, that was written hundreds of years ago, and realize that all of that came true in Jesus Christ, you can be more assured, more encouraged in your faith. And then He calls them to some action. He calls them to obedience. He calls them uh, to love. And He calls them to holiness. All of that in in chapter 1. your salvation has results, should have results. And then in chapter 2, the beginning, he says, as newborn babes desire pure spiritual milk. Well, most of you in here have had babies and you know about every three hours they're going to do what? They're going to cry because they long for nourishment. They're hungry. It's consistent, it's often, and it's urgent. And Peter says, that's how you should respond to God's teaching, God's Word. That's how your attitude should be the same thing as a baby. I I want it and I need it now. And if I don't get it, someone's going to be unhappy. Right? And he's he's talking about all this. And and then he brings up the temple. And my first thought, if I'm reading this is well, but what if I'm not Jewish? I I don't fit into all this grand, wonderful plan. And he says, but there's been a change In the way God does things. No longer is it the temple in Jerusalem. It's it's this new temple made up of all these people who have embraced Christ. And he puts Jesus as he calls the rock. And he says everybody has one of two reactions to this rock. They'll either embrace it or they'll stumble over it. And those that embrace it, you're the ones I'm talking to. And those that stumble over it, You're the ones who are missing out on these blessings. And then we read these words beginning in verse 9 of chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word and thank you for an opportunity to um, gather as a a body and um, hear it pray that you would speak to our hearts, our minds, and ultimately our wills. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Peter answers two questions in verses 9 through 12. He answers the question, who are we? And then he answers the question, so what? Who are we? And then so what? He starts with a a contrast. But you, as opposed to these folks who stumble over the rock, you are the ones who've embraced Jesus. And because of that, he says, first of all, that you are a chosen race. This comes out of Isaiah 43. Um, In Isaiah 43, the prophet Isaiah is telling the nation, I'm going to deliver you from Babylon. What's interesting is they haven't been taken into exile yet. He's prophesied they're going to. He's told them who's going to come get them. And now he's telling them, I'm going to bring you back. And he reminds them in the early part of Isaiah 43 of God bringing back the nation, or rescue the nation from, it, from Egypt. How He parted the waters of the Red Sea. How the army was going after them and then was devoured. And He says, you think that's something? Wait. Something better is going to happen. It's like Deliverance 2.0. Right? It's the newest upgrade to the software. Wait, what's going to happen? There's not going to be this magic forcing someone to let you go. And what actually happens is, overnight the Babylonians were overthrown by the Persians and then one day the king says, why don't y'all go back? In fact, go back and build the temple. In fact, let me pay for it. It's not you've got to struggle and work to get out of Egypt. It's I'm just going to send you back. Because, and he uses the word in Isaiah 43, you're a, a chosen a chosen nation. Because they were descendants of Abraham and God keeps His promises. He told Abraham that through you all the world will be blessed. And again, if I'm reading this, I'm thinking, but I'm not a descendant of Abraham. I'm What if I'm a Gentile? And that's the beauty of what Peter's doing. He says, you realize that it's not about who your parents are anymore. It's about what you do with Jesus. You're a chosen people, a chosen race, a chosen group, not based on descent from Abraham, but based on faith in Christ. Next, he says, you are a royal priesthood. A title given to the nation of Israel in Exodus 19. Again, they have just gotten out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. God's about to give them the law. He's about to tell them how He wants them to look different from all the other nations. Their behavior, their dress, what they eat, how they behave, how they worship, how they celebrate. A whole long list of things that is entirely other than the people that surround them. And He says... And you're going to be a royal priesthood. Some translations say a kingdom of priests. There's two ideas there. There's reigning and there's interceding. You are going to reign and rule. And you are going to intercede for those around you. In other words, you're going to mediate. You're going to give my blessings to other people. It's, it's the garden all over again. God told Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply. Represent me throughout the earth. Bear my image throughout the earth. He's doing the same thing again. Reign and intercede. Let people see my blessings. You are a royal priesthood. And now he's applying that not just to the nation of Israel, but to us, the church. Which brings up a couple of questions. How are we reigning? I don't wear a crown. I don't have a title. But, but all of us are responsible for some sphere of influence. From the youngest one in this room to the oldest one in this room, we have responsibility. So let me ask you a question. Are the decisions that you make, that you're allowed to make, do those decisions bring honor to God or not? Do those decisions magnify Him or not? Because the decisions you make that you have permission to make in your sphere of influence, right? You're, you're representing God. You're, you're ruling. You're reigning over that choice. Is that kingdom, that little kingdom that you've developed in your decisions, does that honor God or not? But also, we, we intercede. We, we have the opportunity to mediate, to give God's blessings to people. Um, When someone looks at you, do they think, now there's someone who has access to God. As I was reading that this week and and thinking about, what does it mean for me to to be a priest? Well, in the priest, people would know who the priests were. They were dressed a certain way, and you would go to the priest for all kinds of things, right? And I thought, if people looked at me, would they know that I have access to God? Would someone come specifically to me because they think, you know, he's close to God? I bet, and whether their theology is messed up or not, would they see me as someone who has access to God? And that's a scary thought. But I think that's what we're supposed to be like. I think that's how we're supposed to look to the world is, you know, whatever's going on, if I'm having a hard time, I know I could go to him or her because... Since sense they're close to God. I bet they could help me. And again, whether they're trying to earn a favor, or their theology's messed up. Is that the way we appear to people? You know, I know some of you are like that. I've heard enough stories of, of people coming to some of you because they sense your walk. I think about the disciples when they were before the Pharisees. And, the, and the Luke uh, testifies. Um, they realized they were unlearned men, but they... Realized they had been with Jesus. That's kind of what set them apart. It wasn't that they were smarter or more eloquent or anything else. It was those guys had been with Jesus. Can people say that about us? I think that's the the question we need to dwell on today. Um, He goes on. Not only are they a chosen race or a chosen people, a royal priesthood, but they're also a holy nation. Again, from the same passage in Exodus 19, verse 6. Um, And in this sense, this word, holy, um, that word can mean several things, talking about God, His character, but when it's talking about people or, or animals, it's something that's set aside or consecrated for a purpose. And again, our purpose, what we have been set aside for, what we've been consecrated for, is to bring God glory to look different from everybody else so that they look at us and go, hmm, what's their God like? They do things so differently. Uh, And back then, everybody had a God. Uh, And our culture is a little different. But they do things so differently. I wonder what their God is like. Peter, later on in chapter 3, talks about our behavior and says uh, that we need to be prepared to give a reason to anybody who asks us for the hope that is within us. And it's not if they ask, it's when they ask. His expectation was, you will live such a life that people will see you and go, in the midst of this dark, depressing, horrible world, this person has hope. I need to ask him about that. How do they get that? Are we, are we described like that? Do we, do we ooze hope that someone looks at us and says, I want to know where they get that because I need that. And again, in the back of my mind, I think, He calls me a holy nation, but but I'm not part of that nation. I'm not part of Israel. And what Peter's saying is, it doesn't matter, again, what geographic boundary you live in. It doesn't matter if you're descended from the right people. It doesn't matter who your president or king or ruler is. Because of Christ, you are now belonging to a holy nation. And remember at the beginning of the book he called them aliens." he's going to use that term again in just a minute but he's he's wrapping them up in this idea of you are part of something whether you feel like it or not and then almost the end the last of that four he says, "You are a people for God's own possession you're god's own possession if, if The other one's kind of emphasized a purpose. This one emphasizes almost a protection. You're God's possession. You're His. And He's big enough and good enough to take care of you and bless you. Again, this actually phrase comes out of both uh, Exodus 19, the other two were, and Isaiah 43. It's like Peter has both of those passages running through his mind. And he says, you're God's own possession he can take care of you just like he took care of you out of egypt just like he took care of you or will take care of you in babylon His possession what do we do with prized possessions well we display them right for people to see whether it's a picture or a vase or something special someone gave us we set it out Uh, the wedding picture is sitting on a shelf somewhere right so people walk in they can see it see at one point in time i was young and good looking right it's it's up there for everybody to see And in the same way, that possession, God wants to display it for everyone to see. He then starts to talk about, so what? He says in the middle of verse 9, so that you may. But I want to jump down to verse 10 because it's almost like Peter starts explaining something and then he stops and goes, oh, one more thing. Just in case you forgot, and he quotes from Hosea. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's like, oh yeah, one more thing. I understand how you feel. I understand that you knew you were not at one point in time part of the people of God. But now you really are. And it's not based on anything you did. It's not based on who your parents were. It's not based on your effort. It's not based on whether you went to church as a young kid. It's based on God's mercy. He just wants to remind us that all of these wonderful blessings really are based on who God is, not who you are. You are who you are because of who God is. And He was merciful toward us. But there is a so what. There's always a so what in Scripture. If you're reading something and, you, and you're, you're overwhelmed by God's blessings, that's good. We need to be. But if we ever think it ends there, we haven't read it very carefully because there's always a so what. Like Paul always starts out with the wonderful blessings or doctrine of who God is, then he gets to, so here's our response. Peter does the same thing. And he gives us two responses, proclamation and practice. Into verse 9, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He made you this way, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special possession, so that you then have the ability to proclaim the word is his excellencies, his wonderful characteristics. His majesty and glory and holiness and love and justice. You have the opportunity, the privilege, the responsibility to proclaim these things to the world. Just like Adam and Eve were too. Just like the nation of Israel was too. We're called to proclaim the excellencies. So, application, do we know God's excellencies? Do we know what His characteristics are? Do we know what they mean? Do we know how they apply to my life in the 21st century in Cherokee County? It's one thing to say God is holy, but what does that have to do with tomorrow morning? It's one thing to say God is just, but what does it have to do with Tuesday afternoon? It's one thing to say that God is glorious and majestic, but what does that have to do with Wednesday night when everyone's tired and cranky and ready to go to bed, but no one really wants to? Because there's either too much to do or we're having too much fun or we'd rather not do what God's called us to do. How can we proclaim His excellencies if we don't know really why they're excellent for me today? I want to leave that with you. I want you to... Think about that. If someone asks you, what difference does it make that God is holy? Could you explain it to them? Let that tension just rest for now or for a week or two. But We'll come back to that. So we proclaim His excese. We also practice. We're also called to practice. Verse 11, I urge you as aliens and strangers, there's that word again, as people who don't really belong where you are. It's people who are, in a sense, refugees. This isn't our home. I urge you, I strongly plead with you, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts. Uh, Keep away from. Avoid. Martin Luther probably said it best if your head is made of butter, don't sit next to the fire. You're smart enough to know what your fleshly lusts are. You're smart enough to know what gets you in trouble, what attracts you, what draws you in. Possessions, power, sex, food, money, some position. And Peter says, keep away from it. Make the decision in your mind, no, now, that might take some creativity on your part. That might take some thinking. Because it may be that you are exposed to those things without your permission. But we serve the God who created everything. And He says there is a way of escape, right? He's told us that in His Word. It may require you to be on your knees and to pray. God, I, I do want to obey You in this. I do want to follow you in this, but I don't know how, and I'm stuck. Uh, It may be that you have to be firm with yourself. God, I know what you've said, and I'm going to obey, but I really don't want to, but I know I need to. It may be that you have to bring someone else along. It may be that you have to make hard choices. It may be that you have to be inconvenienced to avoid what God is asking you to avoid. And Peter says, keep away from it. And it's not just because it's, it's something we're not supposed to do. He says in verse 11, these things, these things wage war against your soul. See, we're created to live in a different place. And the things that should attract us, the things that should draw us are the excellencies of God. Not these fake excellencies of Power and money and possessions and food and sex and all those things. But we forget where we're from. We forget where we are and we think, oh, these are the things that I'm supposed to go after. And Peter says, they wage war against your soul. Slowly and imperceptibly, they just suck the life out of you. It'd be like if I said, for the next month I want you to eat nothing but honey. You could fill yourself up on honey. You could feel full. You could feel satisfied. But you would slowly starve to death. Because honey's not going to give you the nutrients that you need. It's not going to take care of your body. Your body would slowly waste away. And when we piddle around with these things that that are earthly attractions, the fleshly lusts instead of a desire for godly things. And by the way, that word lust Just means desire, and it's a neutral word. Sometimes it's used negatively in the Bible translated lust, and sometimes it's used positively in the Bible translates it desire. Right? We can lust after God, if I can use that term. We can desire His excellencies. You're not of this world. You are a stranger and an alien. You're an exile. You're a refugee. Your home is in heaven and it's those excellencies that we should be seeking after. And Peter says, keep away. Then in verse 12, he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Behave yourself, he says. And then he kind of explains why. Because people around you are going to talk bad about you. And it's not that if I behave myself, they'll quit. That's not the purpose of behaving myself. The purpose of behaving myself, even in the midst of them talking bad about me, is that one day, God's going to visit... The day of visitation is, is the day of judgment, I think. And everybody's going to glorify God. Paul writes, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so I'm trying to reconcile, well, so why do I behave well when they slander me? says, so they may observe your good works and glorify God in the day of visitation. What Peter wants, what God wants is, one day when God comes to judge these people that have not embraced Christ are going to have to say, he hopes, yeah, you know, I observed your church and I saw them doing what they were supposed to do and I ignored it. But God, you were right. That's the way I was supposed to live. And those people that don't embrace Christ hopefully will say that. They will see your good works and glorify God. God, you changed a people into someone that I should have been like, but I wasn't. Now, it's possible that your good behavior will influence someone enough and God's Spirit will work in their heart and they will accept Christ. Either way, they'll stand before God and say, God, your people behaved the way they were supposed to behave and it influenced me, it changed me, thank you. And you, they praise God. Ultimately, our behavior is not what moves people to salvation. That's the grace of God. But our behavior is a light to the world, is an example of who God is, is a testimony to His grace and goodness, to His character, and God wants people to see that and glorify Him one day, whether or not they have accepted Him or not, for who His people are. Are you a testimony to God's grace? Are you a testimony to His goodness? Or will someone say at the judgment, yeah, I saw your people, but they look just like me. They will glorify God, but Peter says, wouldn't it be nice if they glorified God for the way His church looked? And so if we wear those labels, if we accept those labels, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession those who have been made His people by mercy? Will we proclaim His excellencies? And will we, be, will we behave in such a way that people see that and glorify God one day? There are millions of ways to do that. As many different ways as there are people in here because you all see different people, interact with different people, have different personalities, have different gifts. So there's not a cookie-cutter way But what we want to do as a a church is help you get to the point where that's not frightening, that's exciting, and we allow you opportunities to do that. The things we want to do is help you, equip you to be the people that God has called you to be. Um, There's a number of avenues for that. Hopefully we'll have some more avenues shortly as we talked about rearranging what Sunday morning looks like a little bit to help you get from point A, wherever that may be, to point B, wherever your next step is. One of those ways, um, we support several ministries here in this county. Um, and We just want to highlight some of those for you. One of those is the Women's Enrichment and Family Center. Um, an opportunity for you to proclaim God's excellencies and an opportunity for you to practice good behavior with people um, being Christ-like. And so Blair is going to come up and share with us just for a minute about what they're about give you an opportunity. It's not an opportunity that you ought to take, but we want to make something available for you to um, have an option of how you can do those two things.
0: You know, some of you know more about what we do than I do because you've done it before. I I see people that have uh, had the Women's Enrichment Center in their office and have really uh, helped run the place as well. Uh, I volunteer some and, and Michael just asked me to give you guys sort of a concept of of what goes on there and then some of the opportunities that are there as well. Um, There there are two locations, uh, one here in Andrews and one in Murphy. Uh, And I I think if if you want to volunteer, there are probably opportunities for anyone. Uh, The centers do, uh, in terms of services in the community, everything from childbirth classes to parenting classes to Bible studies to um, we have uh, groups that teach an abstinence and character program in local middle schools it's actually part of their or they satisfy a requirement in their curriculum with it so every school in the county we have folks there Uh, it's called you are unique and it's if you ever really want to open your eyes to what's going on in your community, go spend a week with seventh and eighth graders talking about sex and relationships and character um, really it was an eye opening experience for me uh, when I got to tag along but as far as volunteer opportunities in in the centers themselves and the in the ministries that go out from them um, we need we need people to service receptionists that answer the phone and greet people when they come in the door, uh, people that fold baby clothes that are donated for the, for the clothing bank for moms and babies. Um, we, can, we can use uh, men that want to help on the facilities themselves when they need work. Um, we, could, we could use uh, some extra support on the board of directors. Uh, I tease them that they're a bunch of old white guys, um, but don 't be offended by that if you 're an old white guy uh, but if you're um, if you know someone that would would have a good influence from that perspective or if you are a person that would have a good influence from that perspective, that would be great um, but but really everything, and anything from an hour to if you had eight hours a week in the centers and then outside of the centers. Um, we also need help in fundraising in the community, in public relation with the community, in church relations with the community, uh, people that, that help us set up and communicate with the churches in this county. Uh, that's been a greater challenge than I ever would have imagined to try to get churches together in this area to, to do and agree and participate in things together, um, so there are any number, and I'm probably leaving some out, which Linda is going to remind me of. Go ahead, Linda. Amazing, what am I? Linda. Counseling. Counseling. Yeah, peer. It's I, I like to say counsel slash mentoring because sometimes counseling um, can communicate more of a professional, I have to be a licensed counselor, that type thing. Um, but, yeah, people that are interested, if you are interested. And the folks coming through the door can can be anywhere from a, a crisis pregnancy to a, a financial uh, issue to really any anything that you can imagine. Um, we have the doors set up to help folks, and, and you never know who's going to come through. Different organizations in the family are in the family. Different organizations in the county send people to us, and, and then we refer out as well. Uh, there there's training that comes along with with some of these things. We do background checks on anyone who's going to be working in the centers themselves, um, so you're not just you're not just tossed in there. I think um, if anyone's interested, I think out here on this table remains some some handouts or some cards with the center's phone number on it, uh, or you're welcome to stop me uh, as I'm looking around. Any number of people in here that have had experience in the center but i'd be happy to tell you more or put you uh, in contact with the person that you would need to get plugged in bless you um do i hand this to somebody else next okay thank you blair appreciate it again just want to give you
1: an opportunity to know what goes on um we support the women's enrichment family center with uh part of what you use to support this church. Uh, we, we support them monthly uh, and we'll continue to do so. And, and again, if you have any questions, talk to Blair or Linda. I'm sure they could uh, help you. Um, if you had a desire to help and you just didn't know what that looked like, they could help you evaluate your gifts and see where um, you might fit in and help. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for um, the opportunity to Hear from your word, and God. I pray now as we um, continue in conversation with one another, as uh, the youth gather and um, have conversation with one another. That you would bless that time, but God ultimately, that as we go into our week, that we would help us through your Spirit to to understand what it means to be your chosen people, what it means to be a holy nation that's separate and different from the United States of America. What it means that we're a royal priesthood. Ultimately, what it means that we have been chosen because of Your mercy, not because we've done. And then God, encourage us, strengthen us, and empower us to uh, proclaim who You are and to practice uh, Your characteristics before the world. And we
0: ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.